I just want to point out that the first team in the nursery this week is Paul Graham and Jesse Norris. So uh, my, my husband is the baby whisperer. I'm glad it's him in there and not me. I am not the baby whisperer, but he is great in there. So excited about that. Thank you for all of you who are signing up to hold babies. It's going to be great. I, before I get into the message today, I wanted to just give you a little bit of a couple slides about what we did a week and a half ago, uh, two Fridays ago, at outdoor park, outdoor service at the Center City Park. And I just wanted you to see this. You know what you missed if you didn't get there. It was amazing. And we're going to do this more often. We want to be out in the community just giving worship testimony. There was no real teaching. It was just testimonies of different people. And we did it with our sister. Go back first. Stick, keep on that one. Yeah. We did it with our sister churches, uh, Ma'am and Los Hechos who rent the space in our building during the day. And I love how Trisha put this on her uh, Facebook page. She said, three churches, two languages, all united under Jesus. And that's what we were. It was so powerful. And you can flip forward now. We had um, people from our own church sharing testimonies, Joy and Darius, and I, I shared a little bit as well. Um, of course, we had the great um, praise team playing uh, there, which was amazing. We also had a, a young man from Los Hechos, through Los Hechos, who not only sang a rap in Spanish, but then also gave testimony in Spanish uh, that George was translating. We had other people, let's see who else we got. We had a couple of other testimonies from Ma'am and um, from Los Hechos as well. So it was just this incredible time of testimony and then song and testimony and song uh, gathered together, praising the Lord. They had the little girls from Ma'am were all dressed and did beautiful dance with, with uh, streamers. Um, it was just amazing. There was ministry that went on to people around who were watching and so we were able to go sit with people talk with people we had little baggies of candy that we handed out so it was just a time I hope that it was a blessing to the community um, let's see yeah we have some ministry to some people the, the police came out were very interested and very friendly and we had cornhole um, so it was just a beautiful time and I think our last one has a little bit of a song just to give you a, a snippet of what the band sounded like of ours, Lord, who share our building, who come in this, this very space where we are now, and they worship, and they sing, and they, uh, sometimes in English, some, many times in Spanish, Lord, and with the dancing, and with all that you are doing through them, Lord, I pray that you'd multiply their ministry. Lord, they're both small churches, Lord, just starting out, just church plants in this area. Would you multiply them? Would you grow them? And would you help us to together reach our community, Lord, with the good news of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we continue in our service, our um, series on John, and I want to ask you, who doesn't love a miracle? 
We all love a miracle, right? Now everybody loves a miracle. Um, if we're a skeptic, we want to see the miracle, right? We want to see it happen because maybe, you know, there was a, some kind of hoax happening or maybe there's some other explanation, but we want to see it if we're a skeptic. But we also want to see it even if we're a believer, right? Because it just helps, doesn't it? It confirms everything that we know is true, we believe is true, but we see it with our own eyes. We want to see somebody get healed. We want to see something amazing, get transformation happen in a person's life. We want to see it. And let's face it, one of the reasons we like to see miracles is because we're curious. We like anything that's a little bit out of the ordinary, right? Anything unexplainable. And, you know, we're like that about a lot of things. Anytime there's any kind of spectacle, good or bad, we want to see it, don't we? Most of you, I know, even though you might not admit it, turn your head when you pass an accident, because you want to see, like, how bad does the car look? You know, is it really trashed in? Or you don't really want to see, but you can't help looking, right? That's, that's rubbernecking, right? We, always, we all do it, most of us anyway. Uh, we'll we'll want to see, because we want to see for ourselves what's happening, what's going on. And this is one of the reasons why if there's something happening in the miraculous, we want to see it. And if there's a, a faith healer, a famous person come to town, we might go see them, not because we really care about that particular faith healer or even agree with all of his or her's teaching, but we want to just see a miracle, right? I want to see someone get up out of a wheelchair. I want to see it happen. And maybe something will happen for me as well. And so this curiosity, this fascination with the miraculous, with something spectacular is human nature. And it's not wrong to want to see the power of God moving supernaturally. We have a powerful God, and it's awesome to see him move. But it's interesting in this section of basically two and a half chapters of John that we're going to kind of talk about today, uh, even as, as Jesus is performing different miracles, he is cautioning us about our attitudes towards signs and wonders. And this is relevant for us as a vineyard church because we're a church that believes that we're meant to do the stuff, as John Wimber would put it, the stuff of healing and prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and all of those miraculous gifts that we believe are here for today and they are here for today and we want to do all of that. And But what we want to see is what does Jesus tell us about this? How does he do these signs but also how does he want us to think about them? What are they for? What is John trying to show us in his book? So we're going to be looking um, at three, no, four of the seven signs. If you remember, we're in the first half of John through right before Christmas. We're going to take a little break in John for Advent, and then we'll come back to John, second half of John in January. And this first half of John is called the book of signs, right? Seven signs that point to Jesus as the Son of God. And we're going to talk about four of them today, all right? So we're going to, we're going to hurdle through it. So hang on, put your seatbelts on. Here we go. If you didn't get the handouts, there's handouts with have which have the scriptures on them they're right there on the table feel free to go ahead and get one I'm going to start with the second sign remember the first sign we already talked about that was the woman um, that was the uh, the healing the changing of water into wine in Cana and Galilee <clears throat> and now this is the
Jesus is in the same place he was for the first sign. He's back. He'd already, remember, he'd gone back down, in between, he'd gone down to Judea, he'd gone through Samaria, we went through all of that, but he's back up in Galilee, and just like he, like when his mother Mary asked him about the wine, remember with the water into the wine, she talked to him about it, and it sounded initially like he wasn't going to do anything about it, right? He said, my time has not come, but then he went ahead and turned the water into wine. Well, in the same way here, it seems like he's not going to answer this official's son, this official's request. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe, but then he goes ahead and does the miracle anyway. See, Jesus also knows it's human nature to chase after signs. And at the beginning of the passage, did you notice? The Galileans welcomed him. Why did they welcome Jesus? Is because they liked him? Because he was such a great speaker, had a great personality? No, because they saw the stuff he did down in Jerusalem, and they're thinking, he's here, maybe he'll do some more here. It's like having the face here. I was thinking about this. You know, if we asked John Wimber to come here and visit us at Gate City Vineyard, now, we can't do this because he's, no, we're not on this yet. You can take this down. Uh, uh, if we had John Wimber here and was visiting, he's, we can't do that. He's, he's passed away. He's with Jesus now. But, like, let's say we had him come here. You know, we'd be excited to hear him teach. We'd be excited to get to know him a little bit and pastor us, right? But let's be honest. Where we'd be on the edge of our seat would be ministry time, right? We'd be waiting. Like, is he going to have a word? Is he going to start healing people? Like, what's going to happen? That's because we're just like the Galileans, right? Come into my hometown and do the cool stuff. Let's see the cool stuff. Now, John is interestingly trying to give us a little bit of a counter to this in the way he's written these three chapters. And this is fascinating to me. If you look at the way these three chapters are laid out, Literary analysts will point out that these two miracles are like bookends from chapters 2 to 4. There's a lot of parallels. Now here we have the bookends, right? From John 2 and John 4. They're both in Cana and Capernaum. They're both numbered. The one's the first sign, one's the second sign. There's this reference to the people's faith resting on miracles. There's the same kind of doubtful response from Jesus. You're not sure if he's going to do it or not. And when there's bookends like this, similar stories in the scriptures that are kind of on either side of a section of scripture, what you're meant to do is look at what's in the middle because the writer is highlighting what's in the center of the bookends. Okay, that's called an inclusio. What's, in, what's it including? What's in the center? Well, in the center of John 2 and John 4 is John 3. Now, if anybody remembers when jo- George was preaching a couple weeks ago on John 3, that's all about Nicodemus. When Nicodemus is talking to Jesus and Jesus says, you must be born again. There's a new life for you if you're born again in the spirit. And right in the center of John 3 is a verse that probably all of you can recite by heart. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Right there in the center of these two amazing miracles. What is it that, about Jesus and the life of faith that John's trying to show us here by this organization, the way he's laid out these three chapters? That the point of these miracles is so that people would come to know him and have life. It's not so much so that great things would happen and that they'd see these signs. It is so that they would come to know that he is the savior of the world, that he has died for them, that they can be forgiven of their sins, that they can begin to walk with him and know him and have a life with Jesus. That is why he did these miracles. That's why they exist. Jesus is primarily concerned that we come to know him. That's his primary concern, that we're saved 
This is the point of what he came to do, not to impress us with the miracles, not to solve all our problems with a miracle, not supernatural solutions, but to draw us to himself. And he's drawing some of us even now, even as you're listening to me right now. There's some here who have said, I haven't really given my life to Jesus. I'm not so sure if this is all true. And he's saying to you this morning, I'm drawing you to myself. If you're not sure that he's the child of God, God may not show up that he's the son of God. God may not show up with a miracle today, but he will show up with the miracle of transforming your heart if you open your heart to him. So that is what he cares about. This is why Jesus did the miracle to show his glory, to give evidence that he is the son of God. That's what the signs are for. They weren't the main event. They're a good event. They're an awesome event. But the main event is Jesus. The miracles are signs pointing to Jesus. And so let's never get this mixed up, church. can be a possibility when we get excited about God doing healing and God doing things, and we, we love that, and we're just so excited when God moves. But the point of the miracle is not to tickle our curiosity or to solve some problems in our life, but it is to draw us to himself, to worship him, so we come to a saving knowledge of him. And so we're blessed and thankful when he does miracles, when he touches us, it builds our faith. But when we see a miracle, let's not say, oh, I want to see more of that. Let's say, I want to see more Jesus. I want more of Jesus, more of you, God. And when there's more of Jesus, when we pursue him, when we pursue the giver, not the gifts, then we become in a place where we're receptive and we're filled with faith and God can move through us in power and and with signs and wonders at his desire, in his timing, when he wants to. Does that make sense, church, this morning? I love how John Wimber puts it. He says, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. So we seek Jesus first. Let's keep going. We're going to go to the next sign, the third sign, healing at the pool. When we look at the first two signs, and we think about Mary, and we think about this official son, both of them seem pretty faith-filled, right? I mean, Mary is the Mary, okay? Like, be it unto me, Lord, as you have said. And, you know, she's, she's the faith-filled one. She's the mother of Christ, right? So she obviously had good, good credentials to get a miracle. And this official son also seemed to have pretty good credentials. He was, it said he took Jesus at his word. He trusted him. And so you might think, well, they got their miracles because of their good character and their godliness, their big, strong faith. You're going to see something different in John 5. Let's look at John 5, verses 1 to 15.
I think we see someone who seems to be sitting kind of grumpily in his helplessness, whining about it to Jesus. Nobody will put me in the pool. I can't get in. Uh, So he's whining to Jesus about it. He's believing and trusting in a pagan superstition. It was a pagan superstition that the waters would be stirred up and the first one to go in would get healed. And then when he's miraculously healed by Jesus, what does he do? He goes and rats him out to the authorities, right? He tells them who it was. So it's just interesting. I love the way uh, D.A. Carson, who has a really wonderful commentary on John, puts it. This is how he puts it. John's deft portrait of the invalid. he has painted this man correctly. This account should put to rest any thought that people are only healed because of their great faith and extreme godliness. This man was not any of those things. Let's hear this. Miracles come at the will of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, in the timing chosen by Jesus for the glory of Jesus. That's it. It's not dependent on your faith, on your godliness, on how great you are, how special you are before God. Miracles come at the will of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, in the timing chosen by Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus alone. True miracles are not the work of man. They are only and always the work of God. Always. Anything else is charlatanry and trickery. And so don't look up to healers and to prophets. If they're doing what they're meant to be doing, and if they're really doing God's work, they will deflect all glory to Jesus. And they will continually say, it is not me, it is God's power, and he can take it away at any moment because it's God who designs it. It's God who's part of it. And, you know, if any of you have ever been part of a kind of a name it and claim it type of church tradition, you have probably seen some of the errors that can come as a result of that. And this speaks to this exactly that we get this poor teaching when we start to think that we somehow have control over the miracles of God. Okay, this is always pride. It's always wrong. We get these kind of teachings like you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith or you're sinning. I had a dear friend who had a child who was born with a grave problem and died very early, and everyone was convinced that she just didn't have enough faith or she would, that boy would have been healed. How to add pain onto suffering. Or we sometimes get the impression that we have to work ourselves up into faith so we can believe for the miracle. Or that if you just had the right person praying, see, that person has the anointing and the power. So I just get the right person, then I'll get healed. I'll see my miracle. Or say the right words in the right order, and so we keep saying it over and over again in a different way, in a different place, in a, because we think the words matter. Or that we have to believe for it, claim it, it's mine. What did I say before? It is Jesus who determines the timing of any miracle. It is Jesus determines whether a miracle is going to happen or not. This, this type of teaching is not biblical church. It's not what you see in any of the cases of Jesus healing people. 
You don't see anyone acting like this with him. People got that Jesus healed were regular people like you and me. Sometimes we got big faith. Sometimes we got little faith. Sometimes we've got a great attitude, and sometimes we've got a lousy attitude. Anybody with me there? And see, this is how the vineyard, which is founded, by the way, on, at least in part, on this idea that God is moving today in miracles and power. You know, that's what a lot of the vineyard kind of especially origins is about, but the way we stay in that um, wonderful radical middle. We don't need a miracle to happen to trust or praise God. We know that we don't control the miracles, but we do believe he moves in miracles. We do believe he's present, and so we come just with expectancy before God. We just, we just, we just expect him to move, and we don't dictate how he's going to do it, but we hold on to the tension. I love in John 5, 25, right in the middle of these passages we're looking at, Jesus talks about this. time where Jesus can move and he can he works in power but we're not going to see the fulfillment the restoration of all of our bodies and our families and our lives and our nation we're not going to see that fulfillment until a time yet to come amen so we don't need to be a certain way pray a certain way work up a certain kind of faith God is naturally supernatural what we just do is invite him with expectancy to move and we make ourselves available to him. He's the initiator. His is the power. All the glory goes to him, and we rest, and we wait for him. And let me just say this. If God is moving through you, if you are seeing healing when you pray for someone, if you're getting words of knowledge, if you're seeing the power of God at work through you, then praise him, and then don't get too big for your britches. Okay? Lay every crown at his feet. It is him who does it. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. And he gives and he takes away. So he, it's all him. We're just vessels. We're vessels to be used by him. But it's, we, we come to him and we say, more, Lord. More. More of you. I want more of you in my life, Lord, so I'm more available to whatever you want to do. Whether it's very ordinary or it's miraculous, God, I'm available to you. More, Lord. Say more, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Amen. Let's go to the fourth sign, feeding of the 5,000. John 6, 1 to 14. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far...
and we see people running after signs and wonders, right? Notice again, verse at the very beginning of this little passage, a great crowd of people followed him. Why? Because they had seen the signs he had performed by healing the sick. John is quietly pointing this out over and over and over again as a, wa- as a warning, a caution to us, not to be like the people who simply are following for the next big thing. Jesus is not a magic show. Church is not a magic show. It is Jesus. And it's interesting that, in again, in this passage, there's a beautiful section where Jesus starts talking about how he's the bread of life. Right in the middle of this, we don't have time to go into it today. But he says this in John 6, 26 to 27, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because But Jesus is saying, I am the one who fills you. None of that will fill you. God uses signs and wonders and all the beautiful things he does in church to draw us to the bread, the bread for us to eat, that that is what will fill, that is what will satisfy. He's better than any miracle. He's, he's the miracle in our own hearts, in our own lives. A couple of interesting points about this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. First of all, it was way more than 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men. They don't count women and children in this society. So there's probably more like 20,000 or more people there because they had women and children there. So a huge miracle. There's also a very interesting detail that's in this account. Now, this is one of those stories that's in every gospel. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John has one detail that the others don't have. Does anybody know what it is? Anybody want to take a guess as to what the detail is he provides in this story that is not in any of the other three? I didn't know this answer till I was really researching this, so don't feel bad if you don't know. Say again. No, that's a good guess, though. That's a good guess. A couple of them talk about the boy. Only John identifies the bread as a barley loaf. Weird little detail. Why barley loaf? What do I keep saying about the book of John? John was written many years later than the other gospel writers, right? And he had time to look at the significance, the theological significance of Jesus' ministry and what was going on. And he also was always in his book trying to give us the big picture, right? How Jesus prophesied from old. He went back to the beginning, right? In the beginning, this book starts. He's, he's giving us the overall picture, Old Testament, New Testament, about who Jesus is. And so I want you to know that there's a similar little miracle tucked away in the Old Testament that I'm guessing most of you have never even read or don't remember. It's in 2 Kings. And so I want to read this to you. 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. Um, shadowing of what was to come, of what Jesus was going to do. Of course, Elisha was a smaller miracle, right? Only 100 men, but made those loaves multiply. And with Jesus, it was 5,000 men with 12 baskets left over, but both had leftovers. And what we're being reminded in a very John-like way with this tiny little detail of the barley bread is John is saying, 
See this man right in front of you here? He is greater than the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. He is the prophet prophesied to come from the beginning of the world. He's just giving us that with this little tiny detail. I thought that was just fascinating. Let's go ahead and end with the fifth sign, Jesus walking on water. John 6, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples... in the water. Remember, he has Peter walk on the water to him. He's got um, where he's asleep in the boat, and he wakes up and calms the storm. There's the one where he has him put the net over the side, and all the fish come up. So, you know, Jesus does a lot of stuff around water. What you have to understand is this lake right here is a big lake, okay? If you stood in front of that lake, it'd look like the ocean, okay? It's like Lake Michigan or something. Like, it's big. And so it's not just a little lake, that anybody can have power over, that you can kind of think, you know, if you're out on Lake Brant, you think, ah, you know, this thing's not going to get too bad. But, you know, this is a big lake, big storms. And so John is, is taking this opportunity in his gospel to remind us that Jesus is Lord over all, all the elements, even this enormous body of water, this sea in front of him. He's Lord over it, the strongest storm, the deepest waves. And it's a reminder again that miracles come at the will of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, in the timing chosen by Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus. It's a reminder of that because no one asked Jesus to walk in the water toward him. Nobody was praying for that. It would have never occurred to them to pray for that. This was way beyond anything they could have ever imagined the possibility. This miracle has nothing to do with the disciples' faith with their persistent asking or anything else that they have done. But God blew them away with a miracle that they could have never imagined. And what this reminds me is that today you might be asking for a miracle of a loaf of bread, but Jesus is actually walking on the water towards you right now. That sometimes I think we ask for things too small because we don't even know what to ask. But Jesus is doing a bigger thing than just taking care of our need for a little loaf of bread. His thoughts towards you are bigger than the thoughts you have towards you. Way bigger. I remember there was a time when I thought I wanted to become a Christian singing artist. Okay, I was going to go on the road. I wrote songs. I had a CD. I was going to play out. I was going to be famous, you know, on the road. Me and Amy Grant, you know, that was what we were going to do. And, um, you know, it was something I thought I could do for God. I wanted it for him. But God knew a few things I, you know, maybe didn't quite realize at the time. One is I'm not good enough, really. <laughs> I'm not Amy Grant. Um, I also realized that, you know, what God realized, that I would hate that life. I hate traveling. <laughs> um, so all that traveling around and going from place to place, I don't think I'd like. I love people to, be, to know them. Um, and God had this weird plan for me to be a pastor someday, which I would have never imagined. Okay, it was not even in my farthest imaginings. Aren't you glad sometimes God doesn't give you what you ask for? God is always working 
even in things you don't even know are coming. John 5, 17, Jesus says this touching thing. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus is healing diseases that you haven't even started to pray for. He's moving in souls who have never even reached out to him. He's moving people in and out of your life that you didn't even know needed to move in and out of your life. He's putting you into situations that you never even asked for for reasons you don't fully understand. And he has purposes for you that are way beyond anything you could have asked or imagined. Does that just give you goosebumps? I'm so glad our God is that good and that big. He's walking on the water. He's a miracle-working God, and he's working in his timing in your life. I don't care what thing is looming in front of you right now. He's working. He's working in a way you don't see. And let's just make ourselves available to him, amen, to do what he wants to do. So I want to end this now by pointing out my goals for this little message today. It's the same goal that John had, which is that we would believe. When he wrote this gospel, he says, I wrote it so that you may believe. And so I pray that in seeing these four incredible miracles Jesus did, very different, all of them very different, that first of all, that we would know that we know that we know that we know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is real. If you weren't sure walking in today whether he was real or not, I hope today has helped you realize that no man alone could do what Jesus did. All these things. And these were attested to by, many of them attested to by all the Gospels. My second goal is that we wouldn't chase after signs, but after Jesus. That the more signs we see, the more we'd chase after Jesus. Amen? I'm going to say that again. The more signs we see, the more we chase after Jesus. It's more important that we seek him, the, the giver, not the gifts, that we would seek him and follow him and submit ourselves more and more to him, surrender more and more to him as we see his power moving. But my third goal is that we could believe that Jesus can do today what he did then, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that he has power over anything and everything. There is literally nothing he cannot do, church. There's no bill too big that he can't figure out a way for you to pay it. There's no problem in your body that he cannot heal. There is nothing in your relationship that he cannot mend. If you'll submit to him, there is nothing he can't do. And so all we do is we take these things and we lay them at his feet and we say, we believe, Jesus, you can do something with this. I believe. I believe today there's some of us here that need to lay some things at his feet that seem too big, but that we would believe. Husbands and wives, children, families, singles, seems too big, Lord. I don't know how this is going to happen. Lay at his feet. Offer it to him and say, I believe, Lord, you're big enough for all of this. And my final goal is we trust Jesus with every and any outcome. We don't define the outcome. We're not going to name it and claim it. We're going to release it to Jesus and let him work. Because we might be asking for a loaf of bread, and he might be walking on the water toward us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just trust you. We make room for you to move in our life today, Lord. And we just confess you as the Son of God. 
And if we have never surrendered to you fully, Lord, I pray that we would right now say, God, I've just held back. I've kind of played played the game, gone through the motions, but God, I'm going to surrender to you my life, my family, my job, my career, my, my desires, my dreams. I'm surrendering, Lord. I'm laying it at your feet. And I pray that we would seek you first, Lord, that you'd fill us up like we had in worship this morning, just the power of your spirit, just the filling up like water. But I know this morning there's some who feel like this is too big. And I want to invite you during this time, as we sing this song, come forward, even come up to the altar and lay it at Jesus' feet. You can ask for some prayer. We're going to have prayer folks up here during the song. But you can also just come to the front and just lay it at Jesus' feet. Lord, we lay all these things at your feet, Lord. And then we are trusting you with the outcome, God. That you may be saying no to one thing because you got something bigger coming. We don't need the barley bread. Maybe we need to see you walk across the water. Thank you, Lord. Encourage you to come forward. Encourage you to release it all to Jesus. <laughs>